Hey, we're back. It's episode number 407 of the World's Most Dangerous Podcast. We call it the Riverfront now. Uh, it used to be something different. I don't know. Can't remember. It's been a long time. With me today is, uh, you know, your friend and mine, the uh, best baseball author on the planet Earth, as we determined in our recent uh, Patreon uh, special podcast, Chris Garber. How are you, Chris? Doing well. Thank you very much. And also with us is, uh, I don't remember his name. I'm trying to read it there. I can't really see what that says. I think it's Nate Dotson. How are you, Nate? Uh, could not be better. Just glad you guys still let me in this little club. <laughs> well, we're, we haven't started the, uh, you know, the, uh, the admission rituals yet. Well, just wait. You may not want to stick around. Um, Chris walked into this uh, little party tonight with a, he, he thought he was going to have a clever name there on his, uh, below his, uh, his gorgeous face. And, um, so we stole his, we stole his little gag, but I got to give Chris credit. Chris, who is Steve Selsky? Come on. It's not a real uh, I person. Be- <laughs> I believe Steve Selsky played for the 2016 Cincinnati Reds. Um, I was just screwing around earlier and, uh, looking to see which, who had the record for most hits in a game for the Reds. And, uh, of, of course it's Philip Irvin, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> obviously it really is Philip Irvin. But uh, Steve Selsky was uh, second place on. He had five. He went five for five on a game in uh, September sixteenth, twenty sixteen, which I have no reason to believe didn't actually happen. I, re- I remember Steve Selsky. I mean, I remember the name. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. But you would have asked me which team he played for. I don't think I would have guessed the Reds. I'd been like, yeah, he played baseball somewhere. I remember that guy. <laughs> Big, big, big hitter for the Rangers a few years back. Yeah. Give me 30 guesses. I'll get it. Within those 30 guesses. So let's start with the news of the week. Uh, there's not really any news of the week. The teams are still locked out. Uh, if you've been following the uh, the lockout, they, they're asking for a lot. Both sides are asking for things. The other side are not willing to give, and they just start kind of talking a little bit. Um, it's, a, you're not, it's cold out right now. I've, I've been advised that you're supposed to let people in, let your animals in. Don't lock people out in the cold. It was a good effort. That was a good fair effort. For, if it's fair for uh, your cat or dog, it's fair for Mike Moustakis. <laughs> As we've always said, uh, one of the things we constantly talk about here on the Riverfront. Yeah, the lockout. They're locked out. Um, I guess we, we ask this question every week. We might as well go ahead and ask it again. How are we feeling? Are they going to play 162? Nate? Yes, yeah, I still think so. Um they're, they're, they're talking more than they have been. I think the, they, they met back-to-back days, which is encouraging. They're still a really long way apart, so uh, I'm no, no longer as optimistic as I used to be about spring training beginning on time. I'm starting to get a little worried about opening day, but I still think we play the full, the full slate. Chris? They want the, the full slate of money, don't they? The owners? So they'll play the full slate. Uh, yeah, you know, one thing I read uh, this week kind of kind of boiled it down to they may still be far apart, but they're starting to narrow down the issues. Yeah. And and what this commentator was saying was basically that anything that – basically all the players' offers that are on the table right now are should be acceptable to the owners. So now it's just a matter of how hard they want to squeeze. That basically the owner the, – the players have given up on the, the, the real, real change makers, things like, um, you know, earlier free agency. 
or right. or a higher a much higher minimum salary things that would have made kind of a tangible difference but at this point they they're not really pushing on those anymore so it's just a matter of degree and that doesn't mean it'll be fast but it means there should probably be a deal yeah and also i saw that uh the the owners and players have kind of uh well the owners have not not fully given in, but are open to the possibility of this, uh, like a pool of money for pre-arbitration players. And what what I saw, the report I saw was uh, this certain amount of money, whatever set aside, this pool would be for the top 30 pre-arbitration players by wins above replacement, whichever wins above replacement uh, they choose to use. But um, but now the, the players want $150 million in that pool, and the owners have countered with $10 million. So, I mean, you know, okay, we'll give you a pool. We'll toss a couple of bucks in there. Yeah. So, at that point, right, I mean, it's just a matter of how much. Right. You can always get a deal once you decide, once you've narrowed it down to how much you're going to get a deal, just a matter of how much you can can stand. I mean, uh, but, you know, and and how much the owners try to squeeze, um, take away arbitration years for that. Yeah. You know, they, they like this whole idea of pay for play, pay for performance, pay for wins above replacement, because it, it they never can make a mistake then. All right. The player always gets paid based on what they've already done, so you can never have a bad contract. You always either – it's a win-win for the for the owners. Yeah, Nick Krog is protected there. Some of it looks like some there's some slippery slopes on the horizon. I mean, the uh, baseball reference guy – he just straight up kind of said that he doesn't like the idea of them using his metric. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't either. Constantly evolving. And then uh, some of the other um, you know, benchmarks, they were saying they could, if you won awards, like Rookie of the Year and um, all that kind of thing. And like the media, people that are voting on these, it puts them in a really weird position. So I don't know how, how far we'll get with that. <clears throat> but it's troublesome to me. Yeah, imagine, you know, you – because they are constantly kind of massaging and uh, and changing these the the, the formulas for wins of a replacement, you know, uh, you, you do something cost some guy three million bucks or something, you know, because he drops him out of the out of the top thirty, you know. I mean, yeah. uh, I would want I would want my as a matter of fact, I, I, actually, I will offer my WAR calculations uh, if, if baseball wants to use them. Uh, you know, I'll figure out some calculation. I'll write it all down on the back of a napkin. But yeah, to, to answer my question, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I mean, if you think about all, what do these all have in common? They all have in common like ways to not pay people, right? Or not, you know, to pay a couple guys, but not everybody. So, from that perspective, the owners are getting exactly what they want. One of my uh, favorite tidbits so far is the uh, amount that the owners said they would uh, raise the salary floor. You know, if uh, you account for inflation, if you believe in that sort of thing, it's still less money than it's they negative, were right? In the last, it was like, it's a five percent bump or something like that in the minimum salary. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it almost looks like we're on the on the path to the, the players losing again. I mean, uh, don't they lose every one of these? I mean, uh, basically, the owners have just decided to wait them out at this point. I mean, on a lot of things, uh, that's why they've not really been negotiating in good faith. But I do think we'll get 162 games. To answer my initial question: We will get 162 games. Now, I don't know if each team will get 162, but there will be at least 162 <laughs> baseball games played this year. That's my prediction. So. One thing I haven't heard much talk about, and I don't know if this is because they assume it's a done deal or because maybe it won't happen, is is playoff expansion. I haven't heard much about that, have we? No, or, or even the DH. I mean, I feel like the DH is kind of like assumed to be a done deal. 
Maybe. And for the Reds' perspective, with two uh, subpar third basemen, I guess we get a subpar third baseman and a subpar DH now. <laughs> right. But See, at least they're like guy. kind of set up where yeah. it's going to help them. Yeah. What's that, Nate? So that was a pretty kind way of putting it. Chris is going good today. Yeah, yeah nice. I'm a little surprised we've not heard more about uh, about those, and uh, I'm sure the Castellanis are dying for that uh, expanded playoffs. I was reading something today saying that the reason we haven't heard much about it is because it's 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 kind of a done deal. The owners are not going to negotiate anything else without accepting that. Obviously, don't know if this is true, but it's like this is just going to happen one way or the other. And I I see all the arguments against it, you know, in a in a vacuum. I'm against it also, but I just think. It's one of those things that in a few years we won't think about anymore. And the players probably know that. Okay, if we can we can get some of these other things in a few years, nobody's going to care because the other you know the other leagues do it, and I don't see anybody complaining. That's true. I mean, nobody you know nobody complains about playoff watching playoffs with any sport. Yeah, the old guys will still grumble, but the old guys are going to grumble anyway because it wasn't like the game was it like you know when, when they were kids. So yeah, we'll be out there yelling at clouds. <laughs> So uh, news of the week in terms of specific Cincinnati news, there's really, as you might expect, not a lot. Um, the Reds did invite um, six minor leaguers, extended invitations to six minor leaguers for big league spring training. And uh, really the headline there is, uh, is Nick Lodolo, also uh, Nate's uh, favorite guy, Graham Ashcraft. Yeah. Um, Chris Oakey, catcher, I don't know, maybe have a chance to make it on the big league roster since the Reds only have one catcher. But so, I don't know. Nicoladolo, but Nicoladolo is not going to make the open day roster, is he? I mean, does anybody think Nicoladolo is going to make the open day roster? No, I mean he had they shut him down at the end of the last season because of shoulder fatigue. I don't think you rush this guy to get him into the big league lineup anytime soon. He'll be no, there initially. Yeah. yeah, unless they make some kind of rule that uh, service time no longer has any effect, <laughs> right? Case, right, right. Maybe they'll take him. Yeah, I don't see it. So that's basically it. We are doing a podcast basically every week in which there is no Reds news. I don't think you spoke enough about Graham Ashcroft. I know you like that guy. I'm so big on my boy Graham. You know, he uh, he was pretty good last year. 44 consecutive innings without giving up an earned run. 129 strikeouts, 37 walks. Those lots of ground ball. Sounds like a good reliever to me. Mm-hmm. What, what, what? Rude. <laughs> Sorry. Resident relievers. Um, okay. So, anyway, that's that. Uh, we could probably just stop here. Maybe. Maybe we should. Maybe we should. Well, we do. See you next yeah. week. <laughs> oh, Nate, Nate actually left. He Cue did. the theme song. He was, he was, he was, I was kidding, it's Nate. We're, we're not quite ready to leave. We're going to do the topic of the week now, though. I don't know where Nate went, but. The topic of the week, and this week, you know, we're trying to come up with some creative uh, things to talk about. This week it is – no, actually, we're not going to do the top of the week, the week yet. See, I got ahead of myself. Chris, why didn't you tell me? I wasn't looking at our agenda. Sorry. We, uh, we're going to talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame quickly. Do you have any thoughts about the news that came out this week about the Baseball Hall of Fame? Uh, good for David ah! – Oh, my gosh. Wait, what's happening here? How did that happen? Wait. How, how did that happen? It's going back. Oh my goodness! I don't know what's going on here. It's very confusing. Talk to the cats. Nate, Live come into my That's Nate, come into my window. <laughs> yeah, Nate, go, go come on over. <laughs> oh come my in, goodness! Come into my studio. That's Nate, weird. How'd you do that? Why didn't you go see Chris? Magic. <laughs> the magic of the interwebs. 
Hall of Fame, Chris. Congratulations to uh, Minnesota Twins slugger David Ortiz on his election to the Hall of Fame. It's uh, it's good. You know, uh, you know. Look, um, good for Ortiz. He had uh, a a pretty fun career. Did a lot of a lot of big moments. You know, I have no no uh, fight with David Ortiz. I, but I look at that. I look at that Hall of Fame ballot, and, and David Ortiz is probably what the eighth best player on that ballot, and he's yeah. the only one that got elected. So, you know, um, the Hall of Fame voters and baseball. Look, baseball got what they wanted. They wanted to punish Barry Bonds. They wanted to punish Roger Clemens. They wanted to punish players in general. So they went on a twenty-year campaign of stigmatizing, demonizing, and scapegoating baseball players for doing what they let them do in the 1990s and what they profited from in the 1990s. You may recall chicks digging long balls, and that was encouraged, and then all of a sudden it wasn't because it was time for a labor negotiation, and it was time to make these guys look like cheaters and crooks and bad bad apples who you don't want to defend. So they rigged the vote. They changed the rules of the Hall of Fame. And then you've got a Hall of Fame electorate that by and large is older and more judgmental. And you have the best hitter and one of the top two or three pitchers of all time not represented in a museum dedicated to the history of the sport. Yeah, this was the week when, I mean, it was already broken. It's been broken for years, the process. This is the week when the Baseball Hall of Fame became completely irrelevant. You know, just irretrievable. Because, and, and the reason we're saying this, of course, if you haven't followed it, I'm sure you have if you're watching this, but uh, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens did not get in. They dropped off the ballot now. They're no longer uh, going to be on the, the ballot to be, uh, not going to be candidates next year for the Hall of Fame. And it's just a complete joke. I mean, it's completely ridiculous. And, you know, it's been trending this way for, for a while. And I don't know what else to say other than I, I used to really enjoy the, the discussion and the drama around the Hall of Fame. I don't know, there's something about it, I guess, as a kid. And then uh, even into adulthood, I just, I don't know, I like the discussion. I like the, you know, uh, should this guy get in? Is this guy good enough? Is he not good enough? You know? Um, and now, what are the standards? I mean, you know, great players are not in. Players who are decidedly not as good as some of these guys that are, are quote-unquote bad guys are getting in. Guys who tested positive for PEDs, like David Ortiz are in, but he was a nice guy. He smiled a lot, and uh, made people happy. There you go, exactly. Guys who have no business being in, like Harold Baines, are in the Hall of Fame. So I, I guess the only thing to do now is just to ignore it. I, I, I don't know anything else to do. Um, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a joke of an institution, and... I don't know. I've got, I, have, I have no interest anymore. I know. You know, Chad, I think Joe Posnanski wrote a column this week about the Hall of Fame election. And he said, you know how much fun it was when Buck O'Neill and Minnie Minosco and a couple other guys got elected last month and how, how much we just talked about baseball for two days. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much Jr. thing there. And yeah. And how anyway. about you? But how much fun it was and how much the Hall of Fame used to be about celebrating these great players and being excited. And now it's just like, 
this big downer yeah. where guys who should be in there are are not and it's just it's just kind of a bummer of a week now i'll say this you know i agree with you it's irrelevant i agree with you that it sucks and yesterday i was on google maps seeing how long it would take me to drive up there with my kids in three weeks just to see it so guilty oh man come on you gotta take a stand baines what do you think nate uh you guys pretty much you know hit everything every nail on the head um i know we've belabored this point quite a bit in the past but get him a plaque that says you know bonds probably took some stuff bonds was <laughs> terrible with the media he was a butthole like you can say all these things i feel the same way about pete you can be like yeah this guy was a jerk who did stupid stuff but he also hit the ball more than anybody ever in the history of this game and you're here for one reason to look upon the important players, important moments, important actors in the history of this game. I am just, you can't care about the Hall of Fame, at least anywhere near the way you used to. It just doesn't matter as much anymore. I think anybody who argues that they should not be in the Hall, especially, you know, Bonds and Clemens specifically, is just the worst take I can imagine. I mean, Sosa, yeah, like that guy needed PEDs to even like get close to the ballot. But Bonds and Clemens were two of the best to ever do it and to not be represented whatsoever. It's a tragedy. I hate it. Yeah, you know, uh, when I was in, in school, we did a quick road trip, uh, me and some, some friends, to Cooperstown. And it was, it was, it was memorable. It was fun. It was an incredible uh, weekend. And I always figured, well, I'm going to take my son one of these days. And uh, good luck, Chris, if you do it. Go do it. Um, you know, I just uh, – Actually, I, if I have the opportunity, I will do probably just to take my son. I mean, you know, I got to admit because the museum is, is fantastic. It really is fantastic. But but you will have less fun. <laughs> well, I just I think Jason Stark said it this week. You know, uh, how do you how do you uh, he, he kind of said it like a old Chris Carpenter for the for the uh, Cardinals. You know, how do we explain to the kids? You know, but uh, how do you explain in 150 years? You know, when you're looking at the Hall of Fame, that the guy who has more home runs than anyone ever is not in there. The guy who has more hits than anyone ever is not in there. The guy who's won more Cy Young awards than anyone else is not in there. I mean, it's just, uh, but Bud Selig is, <laughs> Bud Selig is. Yes. Right. And Harold you know, Baines. What Cap saw, Anson is right. Cap yeah. Anson in there. I don't know. Yeah. I saw a stat that said yeah. if you turned every one of Barry Bonds' home runs into outs, he still would have had a higher career on base percentage than big Bob. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's fantastic. But yeah, Cap Anson's in there. Ty Cobb's in there. Those guys, good guys. I think I they just know. need restrictions on who's allowed to vote for this stuff. I going to get more selective with who gets a vote. I remember a while back. I don't know if it's still the case if they've changed it at all recently. But it used to be that there were people that hadn't been in journalism in twenty twenty five years getting votes. I mean, they cleaned not- up some of that. I think they yeah. did. But here's the thing. I mean. So where do, what happens next for Bonds and Clemens? They go to these veterans committees, right? Today's game committee. It ain't going to get better. You saw who who led the charge, you know, with the torches and pitchforks, Joe Morgan. Yep. These the guys that are already in that in that gallery, some of them have no perspective on this and you know, forget what went on in the clubhouse they were in. 
and are just as judgmental as anybody else. So it's not going to get fixed by, you know what I mean? Like you improve the battle, yeah. you improve the voting. Unless you say the three of us get to pick, there's going to be some ding-dongs in that with a ballot in their hand. Yeah, yeah, right. And it's not going to get any better on these committees later on. Um, the best hope was that enough kind of new voters would come into the pool by the time uh, Bonds and Clemens left the ballot. That, and, and I think that's all that something like 90% of the, the new Hall of Fame voters since they came on the ballot voted for Bonds and Clemens. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's not going to help them going forward. It's just a, it's a joke. Oh, goodness. Can we yeah. talk about something else? Not rolling that close. Well, Scott Rowland should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer to me. Um, and I think he probably does get in. But, yeah, he got closer. Um, when you look at the third baseman that are in the Hall, there are very, very few. Scott Rowland is absolutely deserving of being in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but he was a Cardinal for a while, so screw that guy. Okay, topic of the week. Topic of the week this week brought to you from, uh, I don't know, the home office in Kalamazoo, Michigan, I guess. Um, top five red starting pitchers of all time. Our Reds top five list. Top five starting pitchers in Reds history. Um, we have a lot of similar names on our list, so let's just go ahead and dive right into those. We'll start with our, our number five picks. And uh, we, Chris, uh, you have a number five pick that did not make it onto any of uh, our other lists. Who's, who's your number five top of the top five red starting pitchers at? Uh, Tom Seaver. And I thought it was going to be tricky and put him in at the end. But, uh, yeah, you know, Tom Seaver is uh, one of the greatest pitchers in baseball history, just not exactly in his time as, as a Red. So that was my uh, just trying to get some different names on the list. But Seaver obviously threw a no-hitter as a Red, had some really, really underrated seasons, including the 81 split season, when he probably should have won the Cy Young Award. Uh, and like everybody else in Cincinnati, got robbed that year. But uh, Tom Terrific, just uh, it's it's stunning to think that a guy like that got added to what was still the core of the Big Red Machine, and and they weren't able to win another pennant with him. But uh, Tom Seaver, yeah. If you're talking top five, top pitchers that ever pitched for the Reds, look at their whole career. I mean, Seaver is you know he may be number one. I mean, I guess who else is on that list? Uh, Christian Madison, one game. Yeah, one game, yeah. But, I mean, Tom Seaver, inner circle Hall of Famer. So, um, my number five on my list of top five red starting pitchers of all time made it on to uh, Nate's list at number four. So, I'll go ahead and talk about it now. It's Johnny Cueto. And I had a difficult time with this fifth one. But I, I went with Cueto because you can name me a bunch of guys in this fifth spot. But uh, Cueto for at least a short period of time, shorter than some of the other top players, really, really uh, – well, he was Johnny Cueto, and we, we've covered his career here. Literally, his uh, entire career was uh, within the confines of uh, this podcast's uh, history. So uh, he debuted the year after this podcast debuted. So uh, just 2008 to 2015, just an incredible run. And I don't know. Also, you know, as we've said many, many times, if we're ranking top five uh, Instagram accounts, he's probably number one. I started following that after your uh, recommendation, and it is a, an absolute joy. It's a joy. It's delightful. <laughs> it is delightful. Nate, who's your number five? So I kind of thought this might be on one of your alls, and it wasn't. I went with Aralis Chapman. Um, <laughs> Smart. Some people just want to watch the world burn. 
pitchers, how do you argue against it? In 2012, he had a uh, 274 ERA plus. Um, the guy was yeah, Cy Young votes, MVP votes. He was the most electrifying player I've ever witnessed in a Reds uniform. And granted, I took a slightly different approach. I went with uh, you know a couple older guys, but I tried to pick a few that I actually got to watch play. And he was the most memorable of my lifetime that ever stepped on that mound. That's for sure. And should have been a starter. Should have been a starter. Ryan Madsen. I should have changed my name to Ryan Madsen while he was talking on the screen here. Oh. He comes. Anyway, up. all right. So that's our number fives. Nate, we already got your number four, Johnny Cueto. Anything you want to say about Cueto really quickly? Not really. Um, he, uh, I think people kind of forget how powerful he was. You know, he um, was the. Uh, 2008 season, you know, we started. He started out with us 18 Ks and no walks in his first two starts. Um, he ends up uh, sharing the strikeout crown with Steven Strasburg. When you you don't really think of Johnny Cueto and Steven Strasburg as the same type of pitcher, but yeah, he was he was nasty. He was indeed. He was indeed. Um, so uh, for number four, Chris and I had the same number four, and it's a guy that I'm guessing some of you guys have never heard of. It's uh, Dolph Luque. Dolph Luque, uh, Cuban, I think, right, Chris? Yes, sir. First, uh, wasn't the first Cuban red, but he was really the the only Cuban major league star uh, in the kind of pre-integration era. Right, right, right. And he was just um, he, he debuted in 1914 as a 23 year old with um, with Boston, Boston Braves, um, and then. Uh, Pitched in two games the next year, and then didn't show up again until he was 27 in Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, began a, a stretch of basically 10 years where he was among the best pitchers in in baseball. Culminating, uh, the high point, I guess, was his age 32 season when he went 27-8, and 1.93 ERA, 201 ERA plus, and, you know, just, uh, I don't know, brilliant and a guy that, Many Reds fans just don't know and I think deserve a little love here. Any, any other thoughts on Dolph Luque? Yeah, you know, Luque was, uh, you know, you think about his history is kind of tied up in issues of of uh, race and, and ethnicity and, and bigotry and things like that. And Because, you know, only the light-skinned Cuban players were ever allowed to come to the United States. So there were very few of them. And uh, they also then got tarred with this kind of like fiery Latin label but Luque was a tough dude and he was a he was a real competitor and and uh the one thing that the story I love is the one that that sounds like one of our modern reds Luque was playing against the Giants and getting a lot of chirping from the dugout and a lot of it kind of uh racially tinged and at one point he said he'd had enough and he put his glove and his hat on the mound and he went into the Giants dugout <laughs> and he 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 took a swing at the guy who was the, the biggest loudmouth on the bunch and he missed the dude and he actually cold cocked a uh, young reserve uh, player on the Giants named Casey Stingle and and laid Stingle out. But much like Amir Garrett, you know, total free for all, one dude against an entire team and uh, chaos ensued. So it was, you know, what, uh, almost 100 years ago, but uh, Dolph Luque and uh, Mir Garrett have a lot in common. Absolutely. And uh, he ends up pitching until he's 44, Luque. So uh, just, and we'll see, you know, somewhat effective uh, 
pretty much until the end. So and then he retired to become the antagonist in Rocky Four. <laughs> I think that I think that's right. Close. Wait a minute. Close. Wait a minute. All right. So that's uh, that's all of our number fours. I guess we'll go now to number three. Um, yeah, we'll go ahead and stick with Chris's number three because that's a guy that I very nearly put in my uh, top five as well. Just he's probably number six on my list. Chris. Jim Maloney, Jim Maloney, the uh, the best Reds pitcher of the 1960s, who uh, just dominant. I mean, no hitter stuff. They talk about he threw two no hitters as a Red, lost another one in the 11th inning, and had two others where he was in the seventh inning or later and uh, and had to leave the game. But um, like so so many of those guys from the 60s who were, he threw so many innings. And uh, by the time he was 27, 28 years old, was starting to uh, was starting to come apart a little bit, and uh, was just hurt the entire 1970 season. So he was the ace of the. He, he was in that gap, you know. He was he was a young player in '61, and he was a hurt player in '70. So he was never really able to get postseason. Uh, I don't think he ever pitched. No, he pitched one postseason game in 1961, but. Uh, just, just a uh, a really unappreciated guy because his teams weren't great, but he's definitely on the list of uh, top Reds pitchers of all time. Yeah, there's like this alternate reality where he's kind of the veteran, kind of like a, the alternate reality we talked about a couple weeks ago about Mario Soto on that 1990 team could have been that, that veteran uh, pitcher. Maloney was 30 in 1970. I mean, he wasn't over the hill. He was 30 years old. I mean, he came up as a 20-year-old in 1960. And so he, he, he could have had another few years left in him and been a, a big part of those big red machine teams. Who knows? Maybe they went another series or two, but uh, again, a guy that kind of gets lost to history because he came just before the, the big red machine. Jim Maloney, uh, Chris's number three. Uh, Nate, uh, let's go with your number three, actually, because I think we're the same. We got the same one. So I'll let you go ahead and talk about uh, the number three on our list. Well, I'm not going to be able to say quite as much as, uh, as you guys, because I was still pretty young when he was around, but he was, um, Jose Rio was my number three and up there with, um, you know, Barry Larkin, those were kind of the two reds that formed my fanhood, uh, growing up. And I know we've talked about Rio a lot here lately, but yeah, he was just one of those sort of like those big, what ifs, you know, he got hurt. Had he not, he was just lights out for all those years. One of my favorite little anecdotes is that he is, uh, the only player ever, to um, complete a successful comeback after receiving Hall of Fame votes. <laughs> Impressive. And he was good enough to where people like, you know, legitimately considered him to be a Hall of Famer. Um, and then he still came back and pitched some more after that. I think it's pretty cool. But you got to see him a lot more uh, sort of in your, in your formative years. So I'll let you go a little, a little deeper. Yeah, go look at his baseball reference page because, you know, he has his career and then, Kind of like Jim Maloney at age 30, it's basically over. And then there's five straight lines where it says, did not play in major or minor leagues, injured. And then comes back and pitches in two, two more seasons, you all, as many of you will uh, remember. You know, I, I guess talking about Rio right after Maloney, and I say Chris and I, or Nate and I had him at number three. Chris, you actually had him at number two on your list. I think it's perfectly defensible. Uh, he He's in that, uh, I would not compare him to Maloney necessarily, but to me he's in the, like the Eric Davis what if category of without injuries. I mean, this guy was absolutely to me, inner circle hall of fame talent. 
and just, you know, the injuries, uh, he was never able to actually reach it. But at his best, he was as good as anybody I've ever, well, at his best, he was better than anybody I've seen in a pitching in a Reds uniform, with the possible exception of uh, Kevin Quackenbush. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, he's he was one, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but he was one of those guys, I would put Soto, uh, Castillo, Cueto, and Rio are the four guys, I would probably say. And mm, a, a few weeks of Sonny Gray, where I felt like the Reds had one of the best pitchers in baseball going to the mound on any given night when this guy started. It's rare. Yeah, it's really rare. And you just felt like, I don't care who they're going against. This guy's got a chance to pitch to win a one nothing game against a, a, another great pitcher. Yeah. Again, I, I, he's one that I fear um, it's going to be lost to history a little bit as well, just because of, uh, although he does have the, the 1990 world series. So he's going to be asked back every, you know, every two years or something for a reunion. So we can trot him out onto the field, sell some tickets. All right, so we, Chris, that's your that's your top uh, four already. Top four. Yeah, so let's go. Let's let's hit Nate's number two, um, or your that, that's your second through fifth, Chris. Uh, Nate, your number two is one that did not appear on our other lists, but a fine choice indeed. Johnny Vandermeer, and you know it probably makes more sense to not have him on the list than it does to have him, but it was, it was my favorite book in uh, or my favorite chapter in the Big Fifty that. That red historical novel written by two hacks. Um, but back-to-back no-hitters, that, that was pretty much my entire basis. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. Missed, uh, missed a couple good years, you know, because of military service. Uh, Could have been a little bit better. But I literally just – I was just sitting back thinking before I did any research, what pitchers mattered the most or I've heard the most about who has the biggest impact on uh, Red's fandom. And I was like, how can you not have Johnny Vandermeer? I, I love it. I wonder what baseball Twitter would be like if some guy today goes into like the seventh inning of a back-to-back no-hitter. It'd be like fun. It would be. It would be fun. It would be bonkers, you know. <laughs> and everybody would be. And because I mean, Vandermeer, you know, you tell me, Chad, but he was not an elite pitcher at that time, right? He was good, but not notable. Right, not that, not that. Well, I mean, uh, crazy talent, struck out a lot of guys, too hard, but he couldn't control the he couldn't control yeah. the, the fastball base. Walked a lot of guys, and, and he became much better uh, afterwards. But yeah, I mean, uh, but he became a superstar at that point, you know, uh, across baseball. Invited on all the all the all the shows, the radio shows. Uh, but think of you think about it now. Everyone would be tuned into his game back then. You know, you read about it in the paper the next day, and everybody went nuts. But man, it, we everybody in the world would be tuned in to. Uh, some illegal stream to uh, to watch. How cool would it have been for Cincinnati to be the uh, you know the hottest city in the country for a day? Uh, not it doesn't happen often. No, it, they were probably a whole lot more used to it though back in that era. To be truthful, than than yeah, uh, that's true. That's yeah. true. All right, so that is uh, that's Nate's uh, number two. My number two is, is only appeared on. Uh, well, apparently no one else has listed other than mine, but it's Epa Rixi. Epa Rixi pitched from uh, 1912 to 1933 with the Reds. Uh, he, he came to the Reds as a 30-year-old in 1921 and just was dazzling. Won 25 games in 1922, led the league in uh, 
innings pitched uh, at games. And uh, I don't know, just uh, he was a guy who he put up, I think, let's see, I've got the list here. He was number two all time in wins above replacement for Reds starting pitchers uh, over the course of his career. So, um, Pepper Rixie, I can't believe none of you, uh, the rest of you had him That's on your list. Maybe I, I just didn't want to pick anybody who, like, nobody listening to this show's grandpa didn't watch play. <laughs> okay. I, I, I thought it was more that you didn't want to pick anyone who, who uh, played uh, college baseball at the University of Virginia. No, Nick it? Howard's my next guy. <laughs> you got Nick Howard on there. Okay, there you go. Uh, so, Ipper Rixie, look him up. Now, that's our top, our four of our top fives. We all shared the same number one, which is, I think I said maybe it's not surprising, but uh, let me recap just briefly. Uh, Nate's uh, number five, Araldis Chapman, four, Johnny Cueto, three, Jose Rio, two, Johnny Vandermeer. Chris, number five, Tom Seaver, four, Adolfo Luque, three, Jim Maloney, two, Jose Rio. Me, number five, Johnny Cueto, four, Adolfo Luque, three, Jose Rio, number two, Epirixi, and our number one, Bucky Walters. Now, hold on. He pitched at the same time, right, as Epirixi. No, he was a little after that, I guess. But not much after. How could you yeah. pick Bucky Walters, Chris? Bucky Walters is so far and away the best Reds starting pitcher in terms of career. I mean, he was the best pitcher in baseball. They didn't have a Cy Young Award uh, when he pitched, but he absolutely would have won it back-to-back in 39 and 40 when the Reds went to the World Series two years in a row. He was the MVP in 39 and came in third place in 40. Led the league in ERA, led the league in wins, led the league in innings. Um, just just a dominant pitcher. Um, and he, the greatest part about him is he wasn't even a pitcher. Right. Up until, you know, halfway through his career. He was a bad third baseman on the Phillies. And... Uh, you know, a, a guy who who is a, a another Reds player or a Reds player and a coach, Jimmy Wilson, was with the Phillies and was like, "Man, why don't you try pitching?" And uh, he, you know, took to it pretty quickly and became. Now he lost twenty one games in his first full season as a starter, but he was decent and then just just dominated baseball in the the pre war and the World War Two era. Yeah, you know, think about a guy who uh, you said <laughs> didn't have the Cy Young Award, but he literally almost won back-to-back MVP awards. I mean, it's it's, it's unfathomable, frankly. And, and those, of course, were the two memorable years of 39 and 40 when uh, the Reds uh, made the two World Series and, and won one. But um, I don't know. Just, and he was, you know, that was his 30, 30 and 31 seasons. Uh, didn't, didn't arrive in Cincinnati until 29, so kind of the reverse of some of these other guys we've talked about. Uh, if you don't know Bucky Walters, you need to learn about him because he really, I, I, definitely, far and away to me, uh, was the only choice as the best pitcher in Reds history. Anything to add to any of that, Nate? No, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't I get to watch him live too many times, but uh, <laughs> in the brief research I did for this uh, this podcast, he's, he's the consensus. One one thing I read had your boy Epa, but everything else is Bucky Walters thrown away. And, you know, I learned about him from reading your book. It just seems like, you know, and you talked about how Twitter would go crazy for those back-to-back no-hitters. How would the, uh, you know, the analysts and the uh, the journalists be all over that story? Somebody who was 
floundering, going to be out of the league as a position player to come back and become the greatest pitcher in a franchise's history. A pretty story. Great story. Yeah, fantastic story. Um, all right, so that's our that's our top five best starting pitchers in Reds history. Um, a little disappointed, Chris, that you didn't bring up Tony Mullane. Yeah, you know, I thought about it. I thought about it. I just don't think that he had quite the the career. And look, I'm, you know, <laughs> there's a point at which I um, become biased towards modern day. You know, and, and I just I don't know what to do with guys from prior to, uh, prior to, to, you know, the 1800s. No matter how handsome they allegedly were, I don't know what to do with them in terms of evaluation. And Mullane was allegedly very, very handsome. If uh, if you go back and read the uh, the history books, I used to pitch him on Ladies' Day. I think uh, was the was the story. It's the story. Yeah. What a time to be alive. Nice All right, so Ladies' Day back then. What's that? It was nice of them to have Ladies' Day back then. It was. I'm surprised. They, yeah, I'm surprised they had allowed the ladies in the ballpark. It was a different time. Um. All right. How about we do a little bit of uh, viewer mail? Anybody opposed to that? Seems like the logical next step. All right. These questions come from our friends at patreon.com slash riverfront That's where you two can support the uh, world's most dangerous family. First question comes from Joe Farsing, as it commonly does. Get a little tired of that, but what are we going to do? He's your leadoff man, just like Corey Patterson. That's He is exactly like Corey Patterson in just about every way. Um, Although I have no idea about it, whether he has had any contact with any of Dusty Baker's daughters. Oh, yeah, right. No, um, remember when that was a thing. <laughs> it got oh. reported in the papers. <laughs> Such a glorious, idiotic farce of a scandal. Oh, ridiculous, ridiculous. <laughs> um, Joe Farsi asks: Royal Rumble of the Reds owners, Marge Shot with Shotzi, Carl Lindner, and Banana Bob in a fight to the death. Who wins? I can see Marge from the top rope with a flying elbow to Castellini, he says. Um, I, yeah, I, I go with Marge on that as well. She's, she's going to play dirty. She's going to fight dirty. She's the toughest for sure. Yeah. She'd have a cigarette in her mouth the whole time, too, out of the, you know, the corner of her mouth. Being, being deceased isn't going to help her very much. Well, <laughs> well uh, relative – <laughs> I, uh, I do think she still might. I, that's a fair point, but I think she still wins. You know she's haunting somebody. <laughs> she's haunting all of us. Next question comes from Joey Gaditza. Joey says, morning gang. It's not the morning. Well, it might be when you listen to this. Do any of you have any past or present Reds players that you had a hard time cheering for? Past or present Reds players you had a hard time cheering for? Uh, I'll say because I mentioned it on uh, on the Twitters earlier today. Uh, you know, Ryan Ludwig um, had a hard time cheering for him. Um, Chris may be answering silently uh, if you're watching the video. If you're not watching the video, you have to wait. But um, you know, Ryan Ludwig had that big screed against fans not supporting the Reds enough, or you know, uh, was that the way, brother guy? Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> he should have been a professional wrestler or something. Yeah, and I was like, dude, why? You know, really? <laughs> you know? Um, so, anyway, that, Ryan Lowe for me. Nate, you, any, anyone? Every mediocre to terrible leadoff hitter that the Reds managers figured they had to trot out. Um, Juan Castro was my number one. 
Really? Really? Yep. For some reason, I guess. Not as the Oro. I just, every time he was in the lineup, which in my opinion was far too often. Well, it's true. I mean, the guy was not. I mean, he had a great glove, but was not amazing. Corey Patterson was on there. Chris Dickerson, Willie Tavares. I didn't, those guys, I never, I never held it against those guys that they were not in a role they could succeed in. That was back when I cared probably a little too much. That's a natural. It's natural. Yeah. yeah I'm performing for your team. Yeah. If you can't see, you know, if you're listening to this, um, there was a certain second baseman who very much enjoyed himself and was pleased with himself and uh, just had a whole show about him that uh, once, if you know, uh, what what was what was the whole thing in the locker room, in the in Dusty Baker's office, where, with uh, with Rosecrans? I don't remember how that went down, but I I know that uh, uh, Rosecrans was interviewing Dusty, I think, and and F- Phillips. I think actually, I think um, Frazier set him up. Frazier riled him up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's another two on my list. Yeah. Yeah, and two guys who, you know, um, are very popular amongst the average Reds fan, uh, Todd Frazier and uh, and uh, and Brandon Phillips. But, yeah, I, you know, uh, Rosecrans had written something about how, I don't know, on-base on base percentage wasn't good or something. And and uh, Phillips went on a, a profane, uh, you know, rant in Dusty's office. Um, yeah, BP. One guy that I would mention here, um, and I felt guilty kind of disliking this guy. And maybe it was sort of like the reason I kind of clung to guys like uh, Adam Dunn. I felt like they were underrated uh, by most people. They didn't want, people were, got mad at them for what they couldn't do instead of celebrating what they could do. And, and this is what, what I kind of did maybe in the reverse with Pokey Reese back in the late 90s. You know, that guy, everybody acted like he was the greatest player ever. And... Um, I don't know. I just I, I never warmed to Pokey Reese, so which is a shame because one of the most likable names in Reds history. It's true. It's true. All right, um, Kyle Kapler, Hall of Fame type question: Fred McGriff, Fred Lynn, or Fred Lewis? Wait, hey, Chris. Uh, none of the above. None? No, I don't think so. I think McGriff's the only one who's close. And I don't – I just – Paul, very, very good. Fred Lynn hit a grand slam in the uh, first All-Star game I remember watching, so I thought he was great. Won the MVP and the Rookie of the Year in the same year. That's pretty cool. It's a good way to start your career. And then it all went. There's really no way to go up from there. Yeah. Nate, Fred McGriff, Fred Lynn, Fred Lewis? McGriff gets the nod because – the crime dog is a Hall of Fame nickname. It's true. Plus, his defensive skills were, were fantastic thanks to uh, Tom Amansky. <laughs> That's a deep cut that some of you will get and some of you won't. It really is. James Urban, what's one place you haven't been but are dying to go to someday? One place you haven't been but are dying to go to someday. A Reds World Series game. Hey-oh! Hey! Oh, that's good. 
Uh, for me, that's going to be uh, – oh, man. We've done a lot of preparation, as you can as you can tell, as usual, as per usual on this. You were you know I've, been? I've never been to New Orleans, Louisiana. Ooh. Can't there. Very fun. I've never been there either. I went there with my parents, and it was still fun. Oh, now that's – that's high praise. I was thinking somewhere like a Japan. I, I, you know, uh, Nate and I were talking about it the, the other day, but I really want to go to Japan. This is it's like a different country and everything. A whole new world. Yeah. What Alaska, did you need? Anywhere? Oh, Alaska. Yes. Alaska in August, maybe. Uh, Switzerland is at the very, very top of my list. One of those Nordic countries. You know, you get on the Instagrams and there's random uh, accounts that just show incredible views and beautiful places. And it seems like every yeah. time it's Switzerland or Norway or somewhere like that. So Switzerland's up top. Don't think they're, yeah. they don't touch. <laughs> they're cold. Don't know that they're interchangeable. All right. That's true. That's true. So, you know, speaking of Alaska during the lockdown uh, back in the 2020, I spent a, a, like, I don't know, two weeks trying to talk my wife into moving to Alaska. Couldn't, couldn't talk her into it. <laughs> We were locked in and did a deep dive on this uh, this show, uh, Life Below Zero. I don't know if you heard that show. No. They're living out in, the, out in the Alaskan bush. And, uh, yeah, uh, I was not successful in uh, trying to get her to uh, make that move. So, surprisingly. Um, Rich Thompson. Hi, everybody. If the 2022 season gets underway and the Reds get off to a rough start, do you think that David Bell will be on the hot seat? If so, how many games in the lost column would trigger a move by ownership? Kind of like, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop, he says. I'm not sure it's exactly like that, Richard. But uh, that's all right. Uh, yeah. Is David Bale going to be on the hot seat if the Reds uh, got up to a slow start? What do you think, Nate? I don't think so. Um, is ownership expecting to win? Are they going to hold him account? They want to? Yeah. Do they even, do they even yeah, care enough to put a team on the field that can win? Um uh, I hear. I will say this: If the playoffs are expanded, and so a you know 500 team is going to get in the playoffs, and they start off really bad, I don't know. They may they may try to make him the sacrificial lamb. But, I, but my real answer is no. I don't expect David Bell to. I mean, what did it take for Brian Price to get fired? Four and Only, sixteen, or four and seventeen? Yeah, after four consecutive nine loss seasons, right? I don't. I think David Bell's got more more uh, leeway than Brian Price did. I. I don't see him getting fired in the season unless it's just really, really, really bad. The players seem to like him. I think that's going to carry him as far as anything else. Yeah, I guess he's probably there. And, and again, the whole thing is whatever, you know, uh, he's not the best. He's not the worst, whatever. Uh, Joe Farsing again, what's the worst possible house pet and why is it a cat? I do not appreciate that. Agreed. Ooh. He's not wrong. I'm, I'm going to have to agree as well, but I'm going to ask uh, Nate not to tell his uh, his lovely uh, fiance that I said that. That well, cat may come in there. I know, right? You may steal your look breath tonight, Chad. He's going to make it. <laughs> soon. Well, I've been looking for a cat. People that have reptiles. They stay in a glass box, though. They're not running around the house, pooping at will and stealing your soul. Yeah, but if they get out of their little cage... If a cat gets out of its home, it's fine. Dog gets out of his crate, it's fine. Your python gets out of its crate, 
I'm what was that movie where the cats were uh, were stealing the kids kids breath? <laughs> Tombstone. I think it was Tombstone. I think it was Tombstone. All right, maybe not. <laughs> Never heard of that. Uh, the, the, the clear answer here is the worst possible house pet is obviously a, uh, a teenage boy. Um, Joseph Prince, as the Reds seem to be operating in just a save money mode, will they accept a Hunter Green and uh, Mike McStark's trade for a minor return just to save money? Uh, Nick Cross said they wouldn't, and I, I don't see it happening. That, that does seem like a typical Reds move, though, does it? Yeah, I think they, if they were going to attach somebody to Moose or Gino to get rid of them, it would be an established player that's also making some money, somebody like a Castillo or a Gray, the proven track record that another team's going to want. And if you can or, get somebody to take on that. Yeah, they'll hang on to these young guys that they can control for cheap for years. Yeah, I think they're so. not trading them. Yeah. All right, two more quick questions, and then we're done. This has uh, been a, a brisk uh, hour of uh, discussion. First question is another one from James Urban. Star Wars – Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. One of them has to go. Which one is getting the boot? Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. Film or book? Oh, you're 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 thinking too much about this one, Nate. Yeah, you can keep your Star Wars novels. <laughs> Just the franchise. Which one? Go ahead. Either of you, jump in. Launch Lord of the Rings into the sun. And never look back. What? What? Miserable garbage. I was so happy today. Joe Posnanski's daily newsletter was about how his family tried to watch Lord of the Rings. They actually watched all three movies together as a family when they were in a COVID quarantine and how miserable they all were. That says I, more about his family than it does. Oh, brother. I went to the theater when that first one came out. And I, I sat there for about 20 minutes and I looked at my buddy I went with. I'm like, is this what this is? Is this, is this right? Is this what this is? And he's like, yeah, this is, this is, this is, this is the story. And I was like, oh, okay. And I waited another half an hour and thank God I fell asleep and slept on <laughs> the next, for the next, what is it? Four hours long. The first one, six hours long. Watch these. Oh, brother. Oh, I tried to read, I've tried to read the books three times. Just pretentious gibberish. <laughs> Nate, I presume that you're going to have a different answer. Yeah, I would, uh, I would get rid of Harry Potter, though I wouldn't like doing that either. My better half is a giant Harry Potter fan, so I, uh, yeah, shortly after we got together, sat down and read all the books, watched each movie after each book, and I'd never really watched them before. And It's incredibly entertaining, but man, like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings were two very, very important things for my childhood. Mm. To me, this is not really a difficult question. Um, it's in my mind very clearly. Lord of the Rings. You just got to get rid of it. You know, listen. I don't love Harry Potter necessarily. Uh, read the books to the kids when they were younger, you know, um, and uh, uh, watch the movies. They're they're perfectly fine. But uh, I will say that the Harry Potter uh, the rides at Universal Studios are amazing. If you haven't ridden the the, the new Hagrid ride, well, it's new as of a couple of years ago. Top notch, if you like uh, amusement parks. Um, Star Wars is Star Wars. Obviously, we can't, we can't, uh, we can't uh, get rid of that one. Lord of the Rings. You know, I, I watched the first movie, and I remember thinking, ah, that's okay. 
It's fine. I didn't hate it. I wasn't uh, didn't have the reaction Chris did. But I never watched the other movies. Never felt any desire to go watch the other movies. And I have uh, brothers giving me a hard time about that at one point. And so I said, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit down. I'm going to watch all three. So I said, I'm going to start back at the first one and just go ahead and watch all three. And I made it through 20 minutes of the first one. I was like, I really don't want to watch this. I'm in my home. You know, I've got a, a drink and it's warm. And I'm like, I, I got every movie in the world here that I could uh, I could uh, watch. I just like, I don't, I don't want to do it. So it may be great. The third one won a Best uh, Picture uh, Academy Award, which is insanity, but that is insane. Sorry. I'll give you did, did you watch The Hobbit? If you thought Lord of the Rings were bad, The Hobbit are like 50 times worse than Lord of the Rings. Well, Lord of the Rings was three movies, and it should have been for three books. They made The Hobbit three movies, and it was one small book. The Hobbit was atrocious. Yeah. They just forced a, a little love fest between a dwarf and a elf that wasn't anywhere in the narrative because we all were clamoring for that. Oh, well, obviously, yeah. Uh, were there any, any Ewoks in that one? Ewoks. The Star Wars is not perfect. The Ewoks spinoff movies? <laughs> no. Do yourself well. I won't say you really call it a favor, but um, if you find yourself, uh, the rest of the family's gone to bed and you've had a couple drinks, you can find one of the old uh, <laughs> Ewok movies. There's worse What's ways the, to have. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to do that, Nate. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> what's the uh, what's the batting average on Star Wars movies, by the way? It's not as high as people, for, for all the cultural cachet Star Wars has. The bad average of good to bad movies, I mean, it's, it's, there are some there's some clunkers in there, you know. Return of the Jedi, as much as I loved it when I was 10 or 12 or whatever, kind of stinks. Yeah, it doesn't hold up under microscope. It's true. It's a trap. <laughs> um, so, yeah, well, anyway, that's a good question. Um, Terrible answers. <laughs> well, two good answers. Uh, Joseph Prince for the final question tonight. Goofy question. I prefer minor league teams to have cool names such as the Tortugas or the Albuquerque Isotopes. What should the Reds minor league teams change their names to? I, I would suggest uh, either the Isotopes or the Tortugas. Oh, well, they're already, one of them's already at the Tortugas. Good point. So, um, like the Louisville Isotopes. There we go. I, Louisville Bats. Pretty great that's that's pretty good. That is pretty good. Lookouts is a pretty great name. Chattanooga Lookouts is good. Yeah, great logo. Um, Dayton Dragons is not, you know, naturally fitting their uh, city, but that's a good name. That's a good. That's a good. Good name. Good logo. Good mascot. Yeah, the Reds actually have pretty good ones. Now that, now that we start thinking about it, right? Yeah, I'm. A, I might suggest we change Dayton change their name to the Dayton Eye of Saurons. Is that what it is? Sauron? Sauron? How do you pronounce that? Try to make a Lord of the Rings reference there. The Dayton Gimleys. Grimleys. <laughs> Ed Grimley. Ed, my, uh, Ed Grimley. You know, my, my uncle has the uh, this is my this is my secondary claim to fame. My uncle won the contest to name the dragon's mascot way back in the day. Yeah, what what did he come up with? Heater. <laughs> really? Yeah, he's pretty good, you know. Fire breathing, bad. fastball. Yeah. He won some sort of uh, 
you know, a, a, a free suite for a night and I believe a personal appearance by the mascot to uh, an event of his choosing. Wow. Which I think he still may have be able to cash in. <laughs> I, I, I actually tried to win that contest and I submitted the uh, name Speedball and uh, it didn't, didn't get picked. Throw that, throw that Speedball by you. Traditional baseball <laughs> term. Make it look like a fool boy. <laughs> um, Nate, any final uh, Lord of the Rings thoughts before we move on? Hold on. If you're not watching the video, Nate's name now says Treebeard. Is that what a is Lord that? of the Rings guy? Is that a, is yeah. that a thing? Oh okay. my god! No. Yeah, I will. I'll, I'll give you that one. He's names like <laughs> Aragorn and Ladriel and all these crazy Lego Lego man. Then there's an old <laughs> kind of like tree-ish creature whose name is Treebeard. That's I, just I, lazy. I legitimately Googled. So while we were sitting here, I Googled stupid Lord of the Rings names. And there's a website with the 20 stupidest Lord of the Rings names. But Treebeard wasn't even on the list. That's absurd. Treebeard smacks of, uh, what's that, Nate? It's not a reputable site Chris is looking at. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Treebeard yeah, seems like, uh, uh, what's his name uh, that wrote the... Lord of the Rings. Oh goodness, Tolkien. 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 Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it smacks of. All right, look. I can't come up with a name here today. I'm just gonna put this placeholder in here. I'll come back to it. And he forgot before he sent it off to the editor. He didn't. Oh, he never figured out a name for Treebeard. Oh yeah, Treebeard. Yeah, Saint yeah. placeholder. <laughs> all right, guys. That's uh, episode number four hundred and seven of the uh, Riverfront Podcast, the world's most dangerous podcast. Uh, we're everywhere. YouTube now. Subscribe, smash that like button. Uh, find us on wherever you find podcasts. We're there. Subscribe, do your thing. Go leave good reviews or just uh, just don't leave bad reviews. I think that's really all, all that I ask. Uh, final thoughts for us. Uh, we'll begin with you, Nate. Um, go watch Lord of the Rings. That's it. That's all I got. That, that, that really may be your final thoughts ever on the podcast. Your final thoughts to, uh, today, Chris? I would say that Beverly Hills 90210 is a better, deeper, and more rich literary franchise than Lord of the Rings. <laughs> oh, we're gonna get some. We're gonna get some hate after this. Let All it right, nerd. <laughs> Thank you, guys. This was fun. Um, appreciate everyone listening. Again, go subscribe and do all that stuff. For <laughs> for Treebeard Nate, for the boss uh, Chris Garber, and for Samwise Gamgee. This is Chad Dotson saying. So long, everyone.